uh, three important words. Uh, when I Googled that, I got some interesting results from various websites and blog writers. Uh, there was someone called uh, Jake and Bryant at a website, Motivational Grid, and uh, for him the three most important words for life were be, do, have. Uh, the way he described his, the way life should be is that you should be the person you want to be and then you do the things that flow from that and at that point you get to have the things that you want. He thought he was being particularly countercultural, I guess, but in the end to me it just boiled down to life was about having things and so I wasn't that interested in what he had to say. Uh, Eileen Emanuel at uh, a website called Thrive, Global, offered these three words, I really appreciate. Uh, She saw that life was all about thankfulness and contentment uh, and perhaps in relationships with others. I reckon there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I really appreciate. Uh, You'd be worse, you'd go worse I think than uh, having that, you could do worse than having those three words as your important ones. And then there was Kevin Eikenberry at Leadership and Learning and his three important words were, I can do. In other words, the solutions, the answers to life, you can find them in here. You have all you need to give you the life you really want. Well, that's all very well until you fail, until you fall over and until life throws you something you can't handle and then I'm not quite sure where you go after you've looked inside yourself and just found something that doesn't help you. So what about you? Uh, Three words that sum up what life's all about for you. Whatever they are, they will uh, say something about your purpose and uh, what is most significant for you. What about the Apostle John? What are his important words? Well, uh, you may have worked out that uh, John is uh, a gospel that has a number of themes that run through it, a number of words, a very limited vocabulary really Uh, and he has these big themes that begin right at the start and they go all the way right to the end Uh, and in chapter 20 verse 30 and 31 uh, there are three of these really important words. Uh, So have a look at them and I wonder if you can work out what the three most important words are. Uh, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. The three words I want to focus on are signs, believe and life. Signs, believe and life. So firstly, signs. As John describes what Jesus did, he describes them as signs. He doesn't call them miracles. He doesn't call them powerful actions. He calls them signs, signposts. So for example, when Jesus turned water into wine, in chapter 2 we're told, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Signs reveal something of Jesus' identity. They reveal his glory. Uh, Glory is something visible of God himself. Signs help you see Jesus. 
Uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, Jesus heals the official son and John tells us then this was the second miraculous sign Jesus performed. Uh, the third sign, he heals the 5,000, oh, sorry, feeds the 5,000 and uh, in chapter 6 verse 14 we read, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So do you see the way it worked? The sign points to something. In this case it points to Jesus. Uh, it helps people to notice him, to identify him. But the thing about a sign is, a sign is never the centre of attention itself. Uh, Nobody goes to Sydney Harbour or the Opera House and then take a photo of the sign that points in the direction of the uh, attraction. The sign, you look at it and then you head towards where it points. Uh, It's all about the reality rather than the sign. Uh, It's the same with the signs that Jesus did. They were designed to point people towards Jesus himself. They weren't designed primarily uh, so that people would marvel at the tricks or enjoy a free feed uh, or even to be healed. People need to see Jesus and that's why John describes the signs that Jesus does. That's why he wrote the whole book. I picked these signs so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Lots of other things Jesus did, but the particular uh, events John records are helpful in pointing people to Jesus. That's what matters most. Uh, it's something Franklin Graham has realised uh, or is very conscious of. He's in the middle of his Australian tour at the moment or he's just about at the end. Uh, he's been quoted as saying he's come here to focus on Jesus. Uh, he's not going to do anything clever He's not going to do anything that will distract. It's all about pointing people to Jesus' death and resurrection as the work that brings forgiveness and new life. And hundreds of people are making commitments. They're seeing Jesus and that's wonderful. But focusing on Jesus is something that people sometimes miss. Focusing on Jesus is something people sometimes miss. A number of years ago, when I was in Blacktown, some of the local Pentecostal churches wanted to organise an evangelistic rally and they invited us to be involved and to to help them and they invited uh, a German evangelist by the name of Suzette Hatting uh, and she was going to come and run healing rallies at the local showground and they were advertised that way. There was no mention of sin or Jesus or forgiveness, just power to heal, come and be healed. My guess is most of the people who went did so because they had a sore back or vision troubles or they couldn't fall pregnant or some other something that needed healing. They didn't go because they wanted a relationship with God through Jesus or they wanted their sins forgiven. Now they may have been healed but walked away still not being forgiven. That's getting distracted by the sign and missing out on what the sign points to which is Jesus. Now, it happens today, it happened back in Jesus' time as well. Uh, For example, in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The crowd loved the free meal uh, and so they follow him round to the other side of the lake. Uh, And in verse 26 we read, Jesus says to the crowd who've arrived, 
with hungry looks in their eyes by the, from what we can tell. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. He's saying don't get distracted by the signs themselves. Bread and fish, they'll be gone tomorrow. Healing will last you for a few years until your body breaks down again. Keep your focus on me. I'm the one who can really give you life. I'm the one the signs are all pointing to. And then in verse 35 he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Take your eyes off loaves of bread. Take your eyes off cured limbs. Fix them on me, the bread that gives life, and I'll satisfy you forever. Signs point people to Jesus. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Are you a sign? Are you a signpost? Do you point people to Jesus? That's what Jesus wants for his followers. Uh, When he washed the disciples' feet in chapter 13, he says in verse 15, Now, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. And then down in verse 34 to the disciples, he says again, As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Your actions, your life, your attitudes point people to Jesus. You are a signpost as you live, as you love others for him. So how are you going at that? Some of us make the mistake of pointing somewhere else instead of Jesus. Our words say one thing but our lives say something else. Nothing deafens people to our words more than the hypocrisy of our actions. I can't hear what you're saying, they say, because your life is screaming too loudly something different. Point people to Jesus. Another mistake we make as Christians is that we're guerrilla Christians. Not guerrilla Christians, but undercover Christians. Uh, We're largely disguised among the general population. Occasionally we might stick our head up to make an attack and then we quickly duck back to safety and incongruity. What's the word? Uh, Where people won't know who we are. Instead of being a sign that points towards someone, we're like an old sign where the lettering's fallen off and you can't actually read it anymore. Uh, And some old signs have danger in red writing and you can see the black writing but you can't see the danger anymore. The red's gone. Uh, We can be like that, can't we? Uh, We point, uh, nobody knows we're actually a Christian. Uh, Another mistake we make instead of being signposts is uh, we do speak up Uh, but we get distracted and we start focusing on things that aren't Jesus and aren't most important. Uh, A great approach when we're answering questions that people might have is to to be steering them as best we can towards Jesus. Uh, Someone might say, how do you know God exists? And you could talk about creation or you could talk about all sorts of standard 
uh, answers for, for proving or providing evidence that God exists, but uh, why not say, well, you know, let's have a look at Jesus because he actually said, uh, if you see him, you're seeing God the Father. Uh, he says he's the image of the invisible God. Uh, why don't we look at what Jesus is like and see whether that helps you understand what God is like. Someone uh, might ask you, what about other religions? Aren't all religions the same? And you could draw up a table and say, well, this religion says this and Christianity says that. And, or you could say, well, you know, Jesus said that he was the only way that people could come to the Father, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Why don't we look at what else Jesus said about how we can come to know God? Someone says, well, you don't want to believe the Bible because it's full of contradictions. Maybe you could say, well, you know, the Gospels give us four different stories about Jesus and they all, they all match up. Why don't we spend some time looking at the Gospels? Or we could say, you know, Jesus believed that the Old Testament was reliable. He trusted it. Uh, so that's looking, pointing people to Jesus. Someone says, well, you know, the Crusades or sex, sexual abuse in churches, that's the reason I don't want to consider Jesus. Uh, perhaps uh, we could say, well, you know, Jesus had a fair bit of hard things to say against hypocrites as well. And he actually came to, to save sinners. And he wants a pure church now. Uh, and that, that's pointing people to Jesus. We can be a signpost in our conversations. Uh, another mistake I think we can make is that we care more about our reputation than we do about Jesus' reputation. Are the things you say and do as a Christian determined by what will cause you to be painted in a good light or what will cause Jesus to be painted in a good light? Sometimes I hear this sort of thing for people who, from people who want to get into youth ministry or schools work and they say something like, you know, I think it's important that I'm cool because if the kids, you know, if the kids like me and I'm cool and they want to be like me, then they'll know that following Jesus is cool as well. And I want to think, well, really? Is, is, it, is it about you or is it about Jesus? It's got to be about Jesus. Uh, our attitude needs to be like John the Baptist. Uh, John chapter 3, his disciples are worried that Jesus is taking some of John's followers away. And Jesus says, well, I'm just the best man. You know, Jesus is the bridegroom. The best man's job is all about making the bridegroom look important, look good. Uh, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist says in verse 30, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Now that's the attitude of a signpost, isn't it? In my attitudes, in my motivations, it's all about me being less important and Jesus becoming greater. That's what will make you a signpost. Well, that's the first word, sign. Now, let's move on to the second word. Can anyone remember what it is? Believe. Very good. Ron, you're cheating though. This is the second time you've heard this sermon. Uh, second word, believe. That's the purpose of the signs, so that we might believe something specific, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Belief is another really popular word for John. He uses it 88 times. Computers are good for some things. They can tell you how many times a word's used. 88 times in John. And in Matthew, Mark and Luke together... 36. The other three Gospels, 36. So for, for, for John, 
uh, to believe is to acknowledge certain things intellectually, but it's more than that. It's to trust. It's to be confident of. It's more than simply taking his advice. It's more than simply following his example. To trust Jesus means to trust his identity, his words, his work. To trust what he says, to trust what he's done. To believe that he is the Christ, God's anointed king, his spokesman, his ambassador, his image. And we do that with more than just our head. Like, it's more than a theoretical thing, like believing that the sky is blue. Uh, We're depending on his words and his work. It's more like being stuck down a well and you're drowning and then a rope lands next to you and a voice calls out, wrap the rope around you, tie it up and I will pull you out. That's what belief is. It's depending on it. It's hearing the words, it's trusting them and then doing what the words say. Believing is a matter of life and death just as if you were down a well. John 1.13, we read, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The most important thing in life is to be a child of God. In 3.14 and 15, we read, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. In the desert, in Moses' time, it was a matter of life and death to look at the snake that was on the pole. The people had sinned, God had punished them by sending snakes, they were all dying. But then God said to Moses, make this snake, put it on a pole, hold it up, tell the people to look to the snake and they'll live. They won't die, they'll live if they look to the snake. And John and Jesus are saying that if you look to Jesus lifted up on the cross and you trust what he is achieving on that cross, then you won't die, you won't die in your sin, you won't die under God's judgement, but you will live. Belief is a matter of life and death. John 5, 24 and 25, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Is that something you've done? What do you believe about Jesus? Today can be the day that you pass from death to life. You don't have to wait till the end of your life. You can move from death to life right now when you trust his words and his work. You can move from condemnation to forgiveness. Well, none of these were the passages we actually read, but uh, if we we do move over to chapter 20, we uh, read the story about Thomas. It's sort of the the pinnacle of what belief is all about. And uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to some of the disciples already, but Thomas hasn't seen him yet. Uh, He he won't believe until uh, just simply because the other disciples have said they've seen him. And he says in verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands or put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Eyes, finger, hand. It's got to be this 
all body experience for Thomas. But there are plenty of people around today who are saying something similar, aren't there? Uh, prove it. You know, your, your imaginary fairy in the sky. Who's you know, this God you believe in? Prove he's there. Well, it's a very cheeky attitude, isn't it? Jesus would be perfectly within his rights to say, no, I'm not going to do it. But Jesus agrees. Uh, Verse 26, a week later his disciples were in the house again. I wonder what happened in that week in between. You know, uh, most of the disciples have seen Jesus and they're rejoicing. What's poor Thomas doing for the week? You know, he's waiting. What's what's all the fuss about? I don't know what's going on. But a week later, Thomas is with them. Jesus came and stood among them. And then he said to Thomas, and I wonder what Thomas thought at that point. Oh, here we go, great. Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out, put, put your hand into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas sees and he believes. My Lord and my God, he responds. The evidence points to the reality And that produces belief, it produces trust. But notice the words Jesus has for us and that's what uh, Merrick zoomed in on in the kids' talk. Those of us who eavesdrop via John's words a couple of thousand years after, then Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In one way, it's a, it's a backhanded little rebuke of Thomas. You know, you should have believed on the basis of the words of the others. But it's also looking forward to us, to those of us who read John's words and trust his words and believe. There's blessing for us in that when his words produce belief in us. So how are we blessed? Well, that's our third word, uh, We're blessed because we receive, what's the third word? Life. Very good. Uh, John says, by believing you may have life. Uh, 49 times John uses life. Uh, Perhaps the most well known is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Life is the opposite of perishing, of being destroyed. Trusting Jesus is the way to avoid God's judgement and instead to live. Uh, It's described as eternal life. Uh, Life that doesn't end, yes, but also life which is more than just living. It's complete life, ultimate life. Life of the ages. Life we were designed for. Life to your full potential. That's the life that Jesus promises here. Life that is lived from the perspective of the one who is eternal. That's eternal life. And as John talks about that sort of life, he's not just talking about then, he's talking about life that's now. If you're a theologian, it's called realised eschatology. Eschatology is about the end, but uh, it's stuff to do with the end that is, is realised, that we actually get to live right now. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that life uh, is something that we can have now. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Rich, full, complete, abundant life. That's the sort of life that comes when people see and believe and live. Is that a description of your life? A real, rich, full, complete life? It's the sort of life people out there are hungry for. Maybe they don't know they're hungry for it, but but they're all looking for it. They're all looking for a life which is thriving, which is healthy, which is complete. But often they're looking in the wrong places. Uh, Knowing and trusting Jesus is where life is found. He is the bread. He is the living water. He is the shepherd who leads his sheep in abundant life. Hand your life over to him. Live your life his way, according to his purposes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow John's advice. Uh, Look to him, trust him and live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that you would help us uh, to see Jesus Help us to trust him. Help us to live the life that he would have us live. Amen.